Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that hopefully talks a little bit more sense than our banking sector. That's right. We're the Motley Fool. I'm Scott Phillips. He's not Motley Fool. He's Strawman. He's Andrew Page. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm really good, Mr. Phillips. How are you? Mate, I'm exceptionally well. I'm used to saying we're the Motley Fool, but you are strawman.com, of course. And as I like I to ask you at the beginning of each program, what exactly is Strawman again? Mate, we are an online investment club. Get on there, share some ideas, follow some smart investors, and, and hopefully make some smarter decisions. There you go. And as well as, rather than instead, I've also joined the Motley Fool service as well. If you're new to the Motley Fool Money podcast and new to the Motley Fool, uh, we offer investment advice. So between the two of us, mate, hopefully we've got the, the, uh, the, 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 the whole waterfront covered. And we're both reasonable blokes trying to do the right thing by our members, investors, followers, readers, and listeners. So that's what we're trying yeah, to do. Indeed. If you if you want some of the, I'm going to be completely selfish here and self absorbed. If you want some of the best from some of the good guys in the industry, uh, you do you do much worse than Andrew and the Motley Fool. All right, let's uh, let's talk about what we're going to talk about, mate. We're going to cover off. I, I mentioned at the top, bankers talking common sense. We might have just heard a little bit from a banker this week. We'll talk about that. Speaking of that, the economy is recovering, even tourism starting to pick up. We are going to talk about an Australian company, a fantastically strong, growing Australian company that is going to leave our shores. We'll talk about Crown. We will talk about a new consumer finance business list on the ASX. And yep, we mentioned it last week, Andrew is going to give us his top five stocks for 2021. So without any further ado, mate, let's get on with it. What do you reckon? Let's do it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, mate, let's talk about banking because, you know, you and I love banking. <laughs> I love Do banks, we what? We? Oh, it never, <laughs> never gets boring. Love the banks. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to talk about banks only because, so last week, we had a couple of bankers front uh, the Australian Senate, I think it was, certainly a parliamentary committee of one sort or another. And basically said, look, we don't need regulation. Everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Don't worry. Let us do our thing. And we kind of get, yeah, yeah, of course. That's, of course. That's we, we've heard say. that. We've heard that before. Heard yeah. That and, before. and who, who, who would have thought someone with a commercial interest in more lending would say, don't stop lending. <laughs> it's like, I know. You know it, that's, uh, it's, that's, you know, what does Buffett say? Never ask the barber if you need a haircut. You beat me to it. I was just going to say the exact thing. I love that <laughs> quote. I love it. We are peace in the pot, Andrew. Mate, um, <laughs> that being said, Phil Kronikan. The NAB CEO, us chairman, sorry, chairman, actually came out this week and said, for, kind of surprised, pulling me off, I fell off my chair, lending curbs might make sense. Mm. And that's kind of mm. what I've been saying, or probably you've been saying, although I put words in your mouth for a while now, is that given how cheap interest is, for all of the reasons the RBA thinks it needs cheap rates, it doesn't want to necessarily create a bubble in housing. I'm sure given that Struthers, it More likes the fact that housing is slightly positive because there's a wealth effect and there's a confidence effect, and that's, that's good. But it wouldn't be loving the fact that prices are right, you know, growing at this sort of rate. They'd be, they'd be kind of accepting it you know, uncomfortably because that's the price you have to pay to get economic activity going. The solution might be these lending curbs, the, to use the jargon, macro prudential measures. In other words, the rules that the banking regulator at APRA and the RBA might put on banks say, hey, guys, don't lend quite so much money or mm. you know you need to test your borrowers on a certain on a higher interest rate or you know the LVRs are too high or whatever they whatever rules they might otherwise put in place just to try and slow down the heat and the growth and that's yeah. these lending curbs and Phil Kronikan actually said and again surprise me it might make sense now before you get mm. too excited Andrew he also then said but mm-hmm. it won't help for long <laughs> And so I'm not sure. I, I, I'm going to. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume he's not talking his book. Cronican basically said, "Look, lending curbs are worth something. They will have a temporary effect on the market, but while ever money is cheap, while ever housing supply is tight, in other words, there's not much in the way of additional housing, we will simply see house prices continue to rise because supply and demand, and the the, the bit in the middle, which is price." We'll do the work for the RBA no matter what curbs are put in place. Mm. I guess I, you know, I'll, I'll just throw it to you. Your thoughts on Cronikan's comments, the role of macro potential, the, 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 the issues with housing and the economy right now. How do you kind of see that whole thing playing out? Yeah, I, I largely agree with him. I mean, we've talked before that, you know, interest rates are without a doubt the overwhelmingly 
major driver of of house prices. Yeah. It just yeah. it's so important. Cost of but money, was, right? as we've all, as we've also said, it's it's also a very very blunt tool. So I think <laughs> macro prudential um, measures make a hell of a lot of sense, mm-hmm. and um, and really really just for the sake of protecting people from themselves. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and that, that does. I don't mean yeah. to say that in a, in a condescending way, but you know, yeah. it's 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 like you said before. Don't ask the barber if you if you need a haircut. Mm-hmm. Don't ask mm-hmm. a mortgage broker if you can afford to borrow more. You know, it's it's there. There are there are a variety of situations. You now we can talk about different probabilities on them, but you know where mm-hmm. you might be able to borrow technically X amount of dollars today, but you know economic conditions change, your life situation changes, interest rates change, or something, and you can find yourself yep. in a very yep. very difficult situation. At the end of the day, the bank's probably going to be okay because they'll just sell the house on you and they'll recoup the amount of money that they've lent you. You yeah, know, in most is. most scenarios, but you you yeah. could be really screwed over. It's not like the US where you can just go. You know what? Too much negative equity. Here's the keys. I'm out of here. You are yeah, on the hook right. for that for the rest yeah, of yeah, your life. Yeah. And and I just look these these are loans that typically have 20, 30 year life yep. life cycles. And and I I think that predicting interest rates is notoriously hard. I'm not even going to try and do it. But when you're looking mm. at a time frame like that. I think it's probably smart and sensible to assume, just for the sake of a margin of safety, that at some point um, rates could be much higher. Uh, and even without that, there's still that absolute quantum of money that has to be paid back. And uh, you know, I, I just, I, I, <laughs> I think quick, it, it just makes sense for us to be sensible. Mm-hmm. I think that's right, man. I think that's that's exactly the story. And. It is if we are in some sort of bubble or we get into some sort of bubble and rates do go up and house prices do come down. They here's the thing I, I wrote. I might have talked about this. Something if I have for our listeners' sake, if not for your own. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that houses are now a financial asset more than a lifestyle asset, as far as the market is concerned, yeah. means that they should vary more widely than they they used to in the past. Yeah. You know the fact that when rates went up and down a lot in the eighties and nineties, particularly early nineties. Prices didn't change all that much. Certainly not. Not you know. If you look at the if you look at the rate of change of interest rates during the eighties and nineties. There's big moves, and house prices didn't really. I mean, they went up consistently ish, but they didn't really jump up when rates went down and jump down when rates went up. But you look at the moves of the last decade or so, and we're absolutely seeing a correlation between falling rates and rising prices. And if you believe that's true, I think I think it's hard to argue. Then. It almost must be true, almost by definition, short of other activity or intervention by governments or reserve banks, that as rates go up, prices should go down. And so if you're mm. buying at the lowest possible rate, or, you know, we could always go lower, let's be honest, could be always negative, but let's assume it doesn't go any lower mm. and the rates go up, you should expect a, as they call it, downward pressure on prices, right? And if that's true, it may well be that prices don't get back to these levels for extended periods of time. You may have negative equity for a very long time. And not, not, to, be, yeah. not to be bearish, just to... I'm not even sure, mate, I would tell people not to buy a house on that basis. I, I would be, if I was going to buy a house for myself, I didn't own a house, I'd probably happily buy today knowing that it's a long-term investment. I'm going to hold some sort of ownership in a house for the rest of my life. And so the price movement doesn't matter all that much. Now, I wouldn't want to go and pay stupid prices for inner city apartments that are selling for a million dollars above reserve. That's a different story. But if you're investing, man, you've got to be careful. And even if you're not investing, just be careful about what's going on. I will say, mate, the other problem I've got is attempting to blame the brokers and bankers but there's kind of this there's, there's this ongoing auction and I have talked about this before but let's say there's 15 people who turn up to buy my house tomorrow morning mm. it's not for sale but let's assume they were um, every 14 of those people go to their banker and say how much can I borrow and the banker says well a million and a half dollars if you want based on 0.1% interest rates and your earnings and whatever whatever the other person says how much should I borrow the banker says oh about a million the 15th person I've just mentioned is never, ever, ever going to buy a house in this market. And that might be okay, mm. by the way. But mm. you kind of, it's one of those things where you can't make these purchases in isolation other than choosing not to purchase or going somewhere like, you know, country, you know, far regional rural areas where there's no price competition because the market is the market is the market. That's the, that's the, the depressing part of all this is we've created this problem for ourselves as a group by effectively bidding against each other before, before the sale, before the auction. By all going to the bank and saying, how much can I borrow? How much can I borrow now? How much can I borrow now? And effectively, we're bidding borrowing capacities when it comes to the auction. We're not bidding prices we think things are worth or prices we'd like to pay. We're yeah. saying, well, I want a house in this area. I want it to be this size or an apartment this size or this location. And if I want that, then everyone else has done the same thing as, their, you know, <laughs> as each other. And the market price is what the 
the marginal buyer at auction is prepared to pay. And that's that's the hard part for buyers, I think, today. And I think I think also, too, a lot of it's rationalised by um, perspectives, I would argue, are demonstrably wrong. So you, you hear yep. things sort of like, property never goes down. Well, it, it does, believe it or not. Um, you know, uh, housing doubles every 10 years. Well, yep. yes, <laughs> in recent <laughs> history, um, and, and then some, but, but longer term and globally, it's, it's just not, it's not the case. And, and so you, you can sort of do things that, that don't seem that look if housing was to sort of triple every five years well you can afford to really leverage up right you you yeah, can afford yeah. to, to to you know go as close as you can because it's in fact i mean leverage is just the best possible thing you can have for an asset that is rising strongly it's great it's just yeah, that it's yeah, a double-edged yeah. it's a double-edged sword so so i i think we 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 take recent history and by recent i'm really talking sort of at least 15 10 10 15 years there we we extrapolate forward and use that as part of the underlying assumption it's kind of like yeah. negative gearing which is a whole other you know <laughs> That's all the thing that i don't want to get into yeah, but yeah, this yeah, but yeah. people will intentionally say hey i'm going to buy an asset and structure it in a way where i lose money and that's fine because eventually I'll make such a massive capital gain as to make it all worthwhile and I get some tax benefits uh, in the meantime. And, and, and of course, it does. It's, it, it, it is sensible and it does work with a massive uh, asterisk there sort of saying, if prices rise enough ultimately. And that's, that's what the gamble yeah, is. Exactly. Um, and so I, I, just, I just, whether it's shares or you know, property or emu farms or art or gold <laughs> or whatever it is, I think whenever you're yeah. going into Good an point. investment, and this is potentially a nice little segue into what we're going to talk about with Afterpay yeah, later on. Yeah, it's just yeah. that when when the only way for you to do okay is for everything to go perfectly well, and that's and if it does, you kind of go okay. Um, but if yeah. anything short of that, you you potentially have the rug pulled under your, your feet. It's that it's that asymmetry I mentioned a few weeks ago, which is just against you. And it's it's just yeah, not an, it's yeah. just not an attractive bet. Um, and why take exactly. it? And I would also say too, just to differentiate. There is a hell of a lot of difference between uh, housing as an investment and housing um, to, to live in. One thing housing has that a share portfolio never will have is is utility yeah. in the sense that it's shelter. I, I can live there. You know, I can't I can't do that correct, with the correct. share that's portfolio. Exactly, that's right, that's right. Yeah. So if you're if you're doing it, I don't think you need to try and be so cute with with you know returns and all that kind of stuff. If it's like hey. This is where me and my family are going to live for the next 20 or 30 years. Yep. Look, I don't know if I'll get the best return or whatever, but as long as I more or less preserve my capital and as long as I'm not riding, sailing too close to the wind as to risk my, my financial future and my family's well-being, then it's kind of like, I don't, don't overthink it. Um, mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's just worth distinguishing between those, those two things. Yeah, that's a really good point. Let's, um, speaking of distinguishing between things, mate, uh, the economy continues to recover and... Two good bits. Of, like I, I'm an optimist. Our listeners know this well and truly. Uh, more optimistic than Doc was. More optimistic even than you are. Uh, I am the card carrying <laughs> optimist of the team. But so and so to be like you know. So jobs numbers. Our jobs ad, ads out not long ago where tourism was one of the biggest gainers, job ad wise when it came to uh, businesses looking to rehire, which is spectacular. And now now. I kind of feel like I always need to say this. It's not universal. There are going to be specific areas in Australia that are massively reliant on international tours and they're not picking up. So I'm not, before people yell at their podcast player, I'm not saying everyone's doing okay or there's no problem or everything's done and passed. We have to aggregate, average, generalize by definition with any of these conversations. So acknowledging that that's problematic. Um, job ads are coming back in tourism. And somewhat surprisingly, I think, I'm open to different views. I'm look, looking forward to your view. Um, corporate travel management. Now, I own shares in corporate travel, so full disclosure there. But the business broke even in March on, on to be fair, a much lower cost base, but broke even in March and is saying they expect positive underlying operating profit, EBITDA in the language, but let's, let's leave the acronyms away, for the fourth quarter. Mm. And I just thought, and they're saying, by the way, that that's going to be led by the UK, EU, and Australia and New Zealand. And mm. I just thought, you know, yes... You know, and we can say, well, of course, and, and you can dot, dot, dot and apply everything after the fact. I'm genuinely surprised and frankly pretty happy. Things seem to be getting back to a pretty good degree of normal in Australia. So I'm super surprised about Europe, frankly, given their ongoing lockdowns and challenges, but maybe they're just learning to live with it or choosing to live with it. Australia New Zealand certainly getting back to normal. And this is the, this is the kind of the, the key one I thought. So they're saying that in Australia New Zealand, client activity, which is their version of kind of bookings, is 85% of 
FY19, not last year, because obviously the years are different, but 85% FY19 levels as of last week. That yeah. is, uh, that is so six in seven trips we, we took in 19, we're taking again now. And I I don't travel a lot for work. I don't, I don't spend much time in the city, so I don't see most of this happening. But you could have knocked me down. If you'd asked me to guess, I think I would have said 30 or 40%, maybe. And I've got to say, I, I think I even might have thought that was optimistic. 85% of pre-COVID levels is pretty bloody impressive. Yeah, yeah, super impressive. And we, we were talking recently about the same kind of um, phenomenon in, in retail. It's just that bounce back. Mm. It's just, it's, I mean, I think anyone reasonable uh, looking long uh, over a long enough time frame would say, well, yeah, it's, mm. it's going to mm. come back. But, but the degree to which it's come back has been really, really, really surprising. It's, a, it's remarkable. And it just, it's economically, I just thought it was one of those stories where it really does, um, you know, it's, it's really worth remembering not to be take too seriously or to heart too much negativity, right? Like, again, if you think about even my own, I, I wouldn't have been even this optimistic, but the sense that we'll wait until X happens or, you know, th- there's always risk on the table. We've talked a lot in the past, probably, frankly, you're the first time around this podcast when you were with us. Um, you know, it's so easy to look at pessimism, right? And I think it might be smart. Yeah, but what if? Yeah, but what if? Oh, the economy can't come back because blah, blah. blah. I was in the city yesterday in the Sydney. You said, yes, I did before. And um, I, I counted four masks the entire time I was in the city, including, by the way, going to and from the city by train. And, yeah. uh, you know, that, that's just, again, some sense that the, the country is getting back to normal really, really quickly. And it does seem like a combination of, I don't know if it's frustration or, or resilience or... or Reservation of um, people just go. So well, I guess we got to get back to work. Guess we got to get on with things. Plus, of course, vaccinations are starting to work in some places. But again, I just I, you know maybe there is no point other than that. But I just thought this is a really really nice sign. Again, I own shares in corporate travel management. Take that for what it's worth. Um, but even that aside, just just broadly the impact on the economy. This was supposed to be along with education, the last sector to come back. If these numbers are even close to right, it just feels pretty good. It does. I mean, the missing part of the pie there, of course, is is the international travel. That's yeah. I still of the view that that will that will take <laughs> yeah. a couple of years at best before that that comes back. But yeah. to note your point on optimism, I I wouldn't class myself as an optimist um, or a pessimist. I'd, I'd I've learned or I'm trying to learn to to be more mm. agnostic. Yeah, and right. I know we 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 quote we quote uh, Warren and Charlie a lot, but I, I saw something <laughs> from them recently. Well, they've said it ages ago, but it just reminded me. I was on Twitter or something where mm-hmm. they basically saying we don't look at macro. Full stop. And it mm-hmm. sounds <clears throat> it sounds negligent from for people in the investment community because because yeah. it's 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 obviously important. I mean, we know how important it is because when big things happen in the economy, we see massive impacts on on the share market, a la mm-hmm. corporate travel and and any other number of examples. But yeah, yeah. so it's not it's not it's not a not them being neglectful or whatever. But I think it's mm-hmm. and I've come to this view. It's it's really just a matter of saying, look, it's just super super hard to predict all of this stuff. When the yeah, smartest right. people in the world get it consistently wrong, you know that you're <laughs> dealing with something that is very difficult. And you know, for yeah, me and my yeah. ad boots at, at home to sort of feel as though I'm gonna I'm gonna have any better luck than some Harvard MBA, you know, out there working with the best resources, tools, and data in the world. It just mm. and and and. That doesn't mean all is lost. I just think it 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 sh- it shifts your focus to where it needs to be, and it just gets borne out again and again and again and again. It's just mm-hmm. like just focus on very strong companies with long term structural advantages, and yes, they'll 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 roll with the punches when they come, and they absolutely will come. But they'll like corporate travel, you know, they'll 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 endure the storm, they'll weather the storm, and then mm-hmm. they'll emerge uh, the other side, and. It's another. It's another reason too. It's why I think any any investment um, time frame less than a few years is pretty silly because mm-hmm. you know you, mm-hmm. you you don't have the luxury to sort of ride those things yeah. out. So, so okay. yeah, I, I take your point. It is very surprising. Um, I never would have called it that way, but I think going into well, let's 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 look ahead um, rather than with hindsight. Whenever the next thing happens, what's going <laughs> yeah, to happen? That's right. Right. Yeah. So this is this yeah. is what will happen. Is everyone will will suffer. But those that have uh, very weak balance sheets, those that don't have very reliable cash flows, those that really don't have any kind of business that distinguishes them from from the other competition out there will not only do much worse but may not even come out the other end, whereas those that are very well-managed, very strong, competitively advantaged businesses will, and in fact often emerge stronger in the fullness of time because it sort of washes out the industry. There's less competition. They've got opportunity for expansion, et cetera, et cetera. And so just... 
focus on focus on the things that matter. Understand that there's a there's a plethora of factors out there that will impact your investments, mm. and and um, but 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 whether or not you can do anything with them in terms of the anticipation and the timing and all that kind of stuff, just mm. just be realistic and and yeah, focus on what matters. I think that's right. I think that's right. I, I will only take slight exception with your your characterization, just to say that I think. It's fine to say I'm agnostic, neither neither optimistic or pessimistic, and you're entitled to that view. I would just mm-hmm. remind our listeners that the market goes up over time. So, in fact, even being even being at neutral is actually going to cost you in the long run if you don't start at least leaning forward into what it's likely to be ongoing long-term growth. Right? I'm not saying you were saying the opposite, by the way. I just want to make that point specifically um, that there is just that extra little bit of you know sense of yeah. I mean, maybe maybe the future is different to the last 125 years, but it's probably not. And if it's not, then being optimistic is just statistically likely to be more successful than being either agnostic or pessimistic, in my view. I, I agree with that. I, I, so I'll, I'll clarify. So I'll, I'd say long, long, long-term optimistic. Um, it's either that or, you know, we wipe ourselves out as a species or we're, we're back for another dark ages, in which case, you know, good luck with any kind of investment. <laughs> in a, you know, a packet of seeds and a shotgun. Um, uh, but yeah, short-term agnostic. So that, that, that's how I distinguish it. But I, I, yeah, I broadly I like agree. It. Yeah, I, I just just make the point just to be, just to be painful, really. Mate, um, <laughs> speaking of, so here's my, here's my uh, very, very clever segue, mate, which people will never see coming. Speaking of going overseas, as we were, <laughs> talking about tourism, we're about to lose... An Australian company, one of the most exciting, the most impressive share price performance, and frankly, probably one of the most impressive business growth stories I think I've seen probably since Fortescue, um, of an Australian business coming from effectively nowhere, taking a lot of risks, getting a little bit lucky, as did Fortescue, uh, and turn that into a multi-billion, in fact, tens of billions of dollars worth of market cap, at least as we currently speak. And that company, of course, is Afterpay, and the bad news, at least a little bit for Australian investors, is Afterpay is flying the coop. Afterpay is going to go and decide to list primarily. Yeah, potentially. Allegedly. They say they're exploring. The board is, <laughs> there's no timetable, but we are exploring a listing in the US. Which basically <laughs> so. says we're going to do it unless we can't, in which case we'll say we only said we were exploring it, right? Yes, 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 yes. So they're not, they're not you know, there's, a, there's wiggle room. There's wiggle room. Exactly, there. exactly. They are going to move to a US listing. In theory, I assume the NASDAQ, mate, because that's where all the cool kids go these days. If you want to be involved yep. with the cool parties, you want to be on the NASDAQ. Um, now, it does seem, to, just to be, just to, be uh, to, 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 to calm the nerves and, and the hearts of those who would be fretting such an outcome, it does seem Afterpay will remain at least available for listing on the ASX under what we call a CDI or a chess depository interest. It's just a fancy word for saying you can you can trade a, a, an equivalent asset on the ASX. You can get ownership in the US business via this thing. Uh, businesses like ResMed trade under a CDI currently. It's, it's, no, it's no big deal. It doesn't, doesn't, there's nothing to worry about there. So we should still be able to trade after pay in theory, according mm-hmm. to the board, according to these reports. Yep. And don't forget, Atlassian went to the US, didn't even bother starting a list here. So it just went straight there. Yep. Others are doing different things. Zero. Of course, on the ASX, actually removed its New Zealand listing, so we shouldn't assume Afterpay will always be available on the ASX, but probably pretty likely for a while. Mm. I mean, I guess I've got to ask you: Why on earth would Afterpay want to list on the? Why have a second listing? Why go over there? Given their founders live here, the business was grown here, the business is based here, most of the business is done here. Why would you go to the US and get a US listing? Well, that's an excellent question, and it was in fact uh, the um, the the. Uh, very wise um, and smart, uh, Anirban Mahanti, uh, the former it. host of this show, who, <laughs> who was on, on Twitter. And he basically said, I'll read his tweet, if you're a global business at scale, listing in the US market is almost a no-brainer. The US market's about 55% of the total global equity market pie. The best of the best are listed in the NYSE slash NASDAQ. This, in my book, is an A-lister play. Um, and then, in fact, uh, uh, Joe Mega, who we both know and love, uh, 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 the um, the portfolio manager over at Lakehouse Capital, by the mm-hmm. way, uh, 25% compound return since inception for both of his funds. So just a very big hat tip there. So this, this is a guy that's pretty smart. Also, also an American too. So he knows a thing or two about the markets over there. And he basically said that, you know, anything where, if that's where your economic nexus is, and if, if that's where investors have a better structural appreciation of your business model, mm-hmm. it makes a hell of a lot of sense. So the idea is, is that you get uh, access to a bigger capital market, easier to raise credit, maybe even a better valuation. Um, so that's that's why you would do it. Um, 
my for my sins, I, I couldn't help but sort of engage a little bit, and it really came across <laughs> as a leading question. It wasn't. I, I I think all of that makes sense to me. My query though was, I wonder if actually short term it is going to be good for them because mm. the tech stocks in general are doing extremely well in in all markets. But in the Australian market, for a variety of reasons, and no one really knows why, probably because there's just you know um, less less option when it comes to really large global tech companies that are listed mm-hmm. here. The, the multiples tend to be a lot higher. So yeah, right. you remember not long ago, and, and I'm sure um, Doc talked about this ad nauseum uh, at the time. You know, Tesla, <laughs> Tesla was doing incredibly well. He might have mentioned that one company once or twice. I, I, go, I don't know what on. it does, but I think I have a, I have some recollection of him mentioning it once or twice. <laughs> and we're not bitter at all for not holding shares but, but <laughs> exactly. he, you know he, he um like that 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 company took a lot of criticism for trading at, at, at what people thought were insane multiples i think it got to something like 40 times sales for a billion multi multi-billion dollar company mm. so it's very very high now Afterpay is on a forward price to sales of about 50 55 depending on what sort of forecast you want to use as i recall from my, so, my limited limited uh, growth investing education experience 55 times sales is a lot of money you know, in small cap land, I could probably, I, I could probably rationalise that a little bit better <laughs> because you're growing off such a smaller base. If I'm earning a hundred totally. bucks, it's not hard for me to grow my sales by ten thousand percent. You know, if I as I sort of pass through that inflection point, mm-hmm. if I'm a company that's, geez, what is what is um, uh, uh, Afterpay's uh, market cap? It's something insane. I want to say let's have thirty-six a billion dollars, give or take. Thirty-six billion dollar company yeah. Yeah. on a fifty-five multiple is is just that's a lot. By the way, it's not <laughs> it's it it's it not. I, I don't want to automatically suggest that that it's insane because <laughs> that you can. I like the way you, you say. I don't want to automatically suggest it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd I like to do it manually, please. <laughs> it, it's it's it's. For that to make sense, it, it, it needs to grow at extremely yeah. high rates for an extremely long amount of time. Yes. And that is yes. what the bulls will argue. They'll acknowledge that, yeah, that's a very high multiple. But mm-hmm. so let's 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 look backwards. So revenue is up five X in just a few years. The market cap in this mm-hmm. business is up twenty-five X in three years. So they are growing at an amazing rate. They are in a yeah. they are essentially the creators of a new market. Um, mm. They have the a really strong first mover advantage. They've got incredible stra- uh, uh, traction. Every announce they had they had an announcement uh, earlier this week or was it last week um, uh, talking about their latest uh, re- uh, quarterly results. And again, everything is just cracking along in, in incredible. Mm. So so it might it might actually make sense. But just to come full circle <laughs> is is that my view was my. No, and it was a genuine question. It wasn't yeah, wasn't a leading yeah. question. Is is that will US investors be prepared to pay that multiple? If they mm-hmm. won't, while they get the benefit of listing in the in that foreign market in terms of access to capital and the rest of it, um, then there would be a potential arbitrage opportunity there if US <laughs> markets and, and not in a good way, where US yeah. market doesn't value it as highly and that's gonna put a lot of pressure on the on the Aussie price. So I don't know. It's going, it's going to be fascinating. I'm, I'm sure that that is very much it'd be an unspoken thing that is front and center of the board's mind. And if, if there was any major concerns over that, it might help stay their hand. But yeah, um, yeah it's it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. I'm going to take a slight tangent on the point. Of, the point we're unlike unlike us to do. I know, uh, and, and in fact, that. Doc and I did the same thing, mate. So I'm I'm apparently the common denominator here. Um, <laughs> let, let's let's. Let, I, I want to take a quick tangent because you mentioned the valuation, right? Now, I I I struggle by any business fifty times five times sales. Let's be really clear. Mm. But what I think, you know, what's and and people don't do this. And we should, you know, and and maybe you and I can start an investing revolution, or maybe you disagree with me. That's a one man revolution. I'm not sure. Rather than saying 55 times sales is expensive or cheap or fair value or reasonable or not reasonable or whatever, it probably we probably should just ask the question in, in some way forwards or backwards to say what would be required for that valuation to make sense? Because then you get out of that general kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. defensive, aggressive that. view of like, oh, that's too expensive. Oh, that's too cheap. And you know, that time's earnings cheap or expensive. Now, we know on that basis, we'd say, well... It depends on what the future growth looks like. If a business is trading at eight times earnings and is going to go broke next year, it is really expensive, even though the market is at 16 times earnings currently, right? You buy you buy a cheap, in air quotes, company that goes broke, it's really expensive. Mm. Uh, you buy Amazon in 1996 at, and I own shares for the record, at 
I don't know, whatever time sales there were back then, 20 times. They probably never got 20 times sales because the market wasn't that excited back then, but whatever it was, you know, the share, shares are now up a thousand times since then. Yeah. And so equally you say, okay, that was not expensive. Or if it was expensive, you know, at least it was justified. And I think that's, mm. you, you're right. And, and I'm, I'm only stealing your idea, mate, but just trying to re, reframe it, which is just the question really should just be for afterpay. If today's price is going to, is, is reasonable, what does that infer that the future has to look like? Yep. And then you can start to do the maths. Yep. 55 times sales wouldn't have been expensive for Amazon if you pay that 997. It just wouldn't have been. Yep. But 55 times sales for Woolworths in 997 was really, really expensive because the future growths of those two businesses were remarkably different. And I think, and I haven't got the numbers in front of me, I can't do the numbers that quickly in my head. Um, but if you were to say to, you know, I, I can't imagine what, what assumptions you'd have to make on afterpay's margins and sales and whatever. But that's a reasonable question. And then, you, and then any investor, growth or value can say, I think that assumption is easy, possible, mm. likely, impossible, certain. And then you can start to decide whether you want to pay that price for those shares. But I think that's that's the math. And for growth investors who generally say, oh, the, the, the TAM's big and it might get a share of that and so it could be worth X. That's another way of doing exactly the same thing, by the way. And that's a yeah. very reasonable approach. But it does require you to say, this would have to happen for the current price to make sense or this can't happen <laughs> or I don't think it's going to happen. And then you buy or sell shares accordingly. I think that's just... You know, rather rather than just the usual, oh, that looks too high, that feels too high, that feels that feels cheap, that feels expensive, just kind of on this gut feel, finger in the air, and or because of where it's gone, yeah, it was eight, right. now it's one fifty. Ergo, it's expensive. No, that's exactly, that's, that's exactly bad. Right. That's, that's bad exactly logic. Right. That's bad logic. Correct. Yeah, correct. And so, you know, and, and, and expensive investors can kind of do that finger in the air because they've got enough experience with doing this to kind of go, okay, well, I get the sort of companies, I get the sort of market size, I get the sort of multiple. This feels a bit like an Amazon or a Salesforce.com or a Woolworths or an Afterpay or a something. And you can make some of those judgments and, and kind of use those heuristics. But it's just worth us breaking that down a little bit just to tell our listeners about why it might or might not make sense and what assumptions you'd have to make to get there. Um, I think that's a worthwhile, worthwhile conversation. So it, it reminded me of this really great um, rant is probably the best way to put it from Scott mm. McNeely, who was the uh, founder of Sun Microsystems. And this is back okay. in, in the in the tech Man, rec, that's the, the yeah. tech boom, right? You've got to be our age to know Sun Microsystems, mate. That's, a, that's an old, old business, that one. That's an old, old business. But back in the day, this yeah. thing was trading at 10 times sales. Now, that, that <laughs> yeah, seems right, okay. insanely cheap in, in, in the year 2021. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but back Good in the day- better. Yeah. That was just considered, and maybe rightly yeah. so, very expensive. And anyway, yeah. the share price fell ninety percent when when the when the tech wreck happened and, and the and mm. the bubble popped. And he had a bit of a rant. I don't know if it was in a shareholder letter or whatever, but I just want to right. read part of it. He said, two years ago, we were selling at ten times revenues when we we're at sixty-four bucks a share. Mm. Now, mm. at ten times revenue, to give you a ten-year payback, that is. This is um, this is me here to to pay pay yourself back over ten years without factoring in inflation or any return. Yep. I then have to pay you one hundred percent of my revenues for ten years straight in dividends. Okay, so that assumes that I get that I can get that by my shareholders. It assumes I have a zero cost of goods sold, which is very hard <laughs> for a computer company. That assumes zero expenses expenses, which is really hard with thirty nine thousand employees. That assumes I pay no taxes, which is very hard. And that assumes you pay no taxes on your dividends, which is kind of illegal. And that assumes that with zero research and development for the next 10 years, I can maintain my current revenue run rate. Now, having done all of that, would any of you like to buy my stock at $64 a share? Do you realize how ridiculous those basic assumptions are? You don't need transparency. You don't need footnotes. What were you thinking? End quote. Now, that's, that's the founder of an amazingly successful tech company having a rant at the market who is sort of said, oh, why has this sort of happened? And, and you, it, it comes back to, oh, I really loved how he sort of put that on investors. CEOs don't actually have that much say in what the market does mm. short term. Mm. On, they, in fact, should be the furthest thing from their mind. Their, their focus should always be on the business because if the business mm. does well, we know the shares will eventually follow. And share price management is always a bad strategy. Um, but it, it was really just, I think, a really good slap in the face to a lot of investors to sort of say, this is kind of what you need to happen. A very extreme <laughs> yeah, right. example, right? Yeah. Now, we're not talking about a company that's on 10 times revenues. We're talking about a company that's on 55 times revenues as well. Mm. So mm. It, it, now, again, I, I really 
want to be clear here. I, I, I'm not saying this is definitely not going to happen. This is definitely going to crash. I'm just saying that it's an asymmetric bet where the, where the odds are against you because what you need to do, and I haven't done the reverse DCF to sort of figure it all out, but mm-hmm. it, you would, you would, I would imagine the general quantum, you would probably need to see 20 to 30% compound annual growth in revenues for at right. least a 10-year period. And then you would also need a terminal multiple. So the, the shares at the end of that period still to retain a pretty decent share price multiple um, for you to do well. And that could happen. Mm. That could absolutely happen. There are examples of that happening, but there are more examples of it not happening. So... Um, Anyway, I said all of this kind of stuff uh, previously. I had a little bit of a, a, a say of that on, on Twitter. And it's amazing is when you do that, how all the balls sort of come out and, and attack you. <laughs> oh, you're jealous because you missed out. Yes, that's Twitter very true. Twitter is I an interesting jealous. place. Andrew, Twitter is an interesting place. <laughs> you know? And people people really rail on, on those that, that disagree, and which is a bit of a shame. Yeah. I, I have said before, I think you really should seek out the alternate view. And I, I very much take the, the bull case, the, the afterpay bulls, seriously and really really yep. try to embrace and, and understand that thinking um but anyway I've, I've ranted long enough all i'm all i'm saying is uh is is be careful if you are a share and just understand what the bet that you're making is and the bet that you're yep. making is as we've said extremely strong and enduring growth which which might happen but but that's that's what you need to see happen otherwise you're gonna you're gonna do your dough or a lot of it nice now that's that's the afterpay story broadly a couple of quick thoughts from me the first is a company called avita listed on the US stock exchange stock markets not all that long ago the share price created and has not come back and so I would just say for those who are expecting that a US listing somehow grants a company license to do X, Y or Z it isn't always the case I'm not saying that is up to future at all I have no view I don't do forecasts as our listeners well and truly know because I think it's stupid to try but I'm just saying there are there are a range of outcomes. The idea that we'll listen on the US market, therefore the P will go up, therefore we'll get lots more, you know, the share price will be a lot higher. That's possible, absolutely in the range of possibilities, as is. They listen on the US market. Investors kind of go, eh, this little tiddling Australian finance company, we've got more important things over here to look at. What's big for us can be tiny for them and they can simply walk away. Um, you know, Australians have come to love buying our pay later for, for you know, good and bad reasons. Uh, Logics we use a lot of as consumers, but um, yeah, just that that idea of you know there's some automatic mm. right to go across is is an open one. Um, I uh, it, maybe they want to raise capital, maybe they want a bigger capital market to raise it in. I really don't see. In fact, arguably, and, and you mentioned Doc earlier, Andrew, he's made the point many times that US PEs tend to be lower than Australian PEs for tech, right? So yeah. I don't know. I I would I'd be I'd be I, I wouldn't be. Uh, I would be nervous. I gotta say, if I was half enough to pay a shareholder, because yeah. if their primary listing moves, and investors kind of go, "We're gonna pay fifty-five times sales for that," which is your point on your question on Twitter, which was a genuine question, as you say, and they go, "No, we think it's worth twenty times earnings or twenty times sales." Well, that's a you know that's a that's a forty dollars share price with a hundred twenty dollars share price. Put it that way. So yeah. th- there's there's a range of outcomes, and I'm not predicting one or the other. I'm just saying there are a range of outcomes here. Maybe they want to be closer to their market. Maybe they want the brand prestige. Maybe they want to use it as a way to convince Americans to use Afterpay the product by having Afterpay the company list on the on the U.S. exchanges. That wouldn't be the first time that the U.S. market is very you know the consumer market is very aware of U.S. listed companies and to some degree, if it can seem like it's available there and and that kind of stuff, maybe that's worth something. Maybe they want to raise hundred billion dollars worth of capital and they just know they can't do it here and they need to find a bigger market. Those things are all possible. Um, I don't think it's necessary at all. By the way, Andrew, I, I don't know if you have a, a bottom line view. I think it's. I'm not going to cast dispersion on Afterpay, particularly partly because I don't want to hear from their lawyers, partly because I don't really know their motivations, and I don't, you know, I can be I can be skeptical at times. I try not to be cynical, so I don't know what's happening here. I hope it's not just share price management. I hope it's not just prestige. I hope it's not just people who want to be impressive or seen as good or like those guys over there. Look, we're one of them. Um, I think that would be a real shame. Not just just because it's unnecessary, right? You, mm. you made the point again in response to that Twitter thread that you know people are just looking at multiple management, then that's a really good reason to get out of a company. Again, I'm not absolutely not saying Afterpay is doing this. I just hope they're not because, um, I, you know, I just, I, they've done a really great job of building a business. Share price aside, that's, that's why I kind of made the Fortescue illusion earlier. Share price aside, Afterpay has done a spectacular job of creating oh, a payment Incredible methodology. business. Yeah. Bank, card, bank card shut down because it couldn't survive against Visa and MasterCard, right? Mm. Afterpay has literally come into a market dom- dominated by three 
global players, are truly global, 150 and some of the deepest players. moat companies you will ever come across. Right, right. right. Visa, Mastercard, Amex. I mean, who wants to try and compete against those guys, right? Yeah. Afterpay has done it and done it spectacularly well. So even even if the share price drops by two thirds from here, the business itself will still be fantastically um, successful and growing at a really good rate, and and that shouldn't take anything away from it. I think we we don't. A lot of people often confuse the share price and the business. Oh, it's doing terribly now. Look at the share price. And it may yep. well be that the, you know sentiments change, not the underlying business. So that's important. My last point I want to make just quickly, Ross uh, sent us an email or a message during the, during the week on Twitter. And he just asked the question about Afterpay and just said, what would this mean for those who have a small holding here in Australia now? And just, I kind of alluded to it at the top, just to address Ross's question. Nothing, Ross. Um, your Afterpay shares will probably be swapped for Afterpay CDIs or chest depository interests as long as that goes through, as long as it happens. I'm pretty sure they'll try and make it happen if they can. So I can't tell you for sure what will happen because we don't know what they will do. But it's very probable if they do go for a US listing, they will have a secondary listing in Australia uh, like Avita Medical, like um, ResMed and others. And you can simply, I assume they'll simply let you swap your shares for CDI. So there should be no change for you as an investor, hopefully. Um, there may be some share price volatility and there is a chance they delete the ASX altogether, uh, but there's plenty of time between now and then to, to work out what to do with your shares. And if they do announce that and there is a big deal made of it, uh, and there probably will be, um, I'm sure we'll talk about it again, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I just, I, we, we do have to wrap this segment up, but I just, a couple of points um, that I want to make is, so actually on Ausbiz uh, three months ago or something now, uh, they were yeah. doing a bull versus bear segment on Afterpay and I was invited mm-hmm. on as the bear. And they sort of said, okay, right, give us, give us the bear case. And I spent the first five minutes just talking about how wonderful a business it was. And so yeah. I think the hosts were like, wait, are you sure that, no, we, we actually asked you on. Bull versus bull, like, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, it, 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 and it, it does confuse a lot of people. And I mean, yeah. but, but I did sing their praises because there is no two ways about it. The business is a really great business. They have yeah. done so incredibly well. I think they've got really strong network effects. I think they've got a long runway for growth. I like everything about the business except the price, and so that's that's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. That's that is the key point I want to I want to sort of make here. And the yeah. other point that I will finally make is that now that we have put it on the record, I think you know, reading between the lines, you, listeners won't be surprised to sort of say, well, you know, neither of us are shareholders, and we have some concerns about the valuation. Now that we've said that the share price will triple over the next three months. So just everyone fair, fair, fairly warned. Um, generally, when I say something is is, is overpriced, it, it doubles from there. So, you know, <laughs> do with that I what you will. Anyway, I, I, like I'm with, I'm with you, mate. I'm not buying Afterpay shares. I, some, some of our team love it and, and with justified reasons because of the underlying business, some people have uh, more risk tolerance on price. And frankly, this is a, uh, this, we are going too long. Afterpay is a bet on the US. If Afterpay yeah. can do what it did in Australia in the US, it is cheap. No, no two yeah. ways about it, right? Just, just yeah, is yeah. because, yeah. as you say, the problem with the problem with with global companies with aggregating growth, it's not like will it grow at fifteen percent a year for five years? Mm. If it does, it's obviously dramatically overpriced. But the question is, does it all of a sudden explode in the US like Australia? In which case, growth might be four hundred percent for a few years. Yep. And you yep. can't put those in. Well, you can put those in models, but people tend not to. But mm. that that's why the range of outcomes are so dramatically huge. If they do manage to really land the US. The way they land Australia, the, the population is fifteen times the size of Australia. Mm. Uh, you know, it it it, it, is, it isn't hard. I mean, the fifty-five times sales, if the sales number goes up by fourfold, well, guess what? That's now fifteen times sales. That's not cheap, by the way. But it's, you know, it doesn't take much. Yes. And if it goes up four times, it can do that easily and still be a lower market share in the US than it is here. Oh, totally. And possible. so that's that's the sort of quantum of potential that, and that's why the bulls like it. I don't blame them for liking it. I don't have that. I don't have that confidence or that stomach for volatility. I have. So volatility, I'm not, I'm not prepared to kind of pay stupid prices hoping that it gets there. Um, it may well, as I said, I just don't want to do it, and so I don't. But I can absolutely get the bull case for sure. Yep. Yep. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mates up, let's move on, finally, because we've done that one to death, but hopefully usefully. <laughs> I could um, actually say more, but I won't. <laughs> yeah, let's move <laughs> Please on. Please don't. Please don't. No, no. Um, no I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Maybe you can say whatever you want, but I'll edit it out later. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's go to Crown Resorts for a second. And we've talked about this a little bit, um, but I thought this was interesting because it's a bidding war of sorts. Now, we know that Bridge... I've lost the name. Blackstone. 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 It's just that Bridgestone, the tyres. <laughs> so, well, that's well, that'd be an like, interesting takeover. Like, yeah, exactly. Blackstone. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Blackstone <laughs> uh, has bid for Crown 
the board has been really quiet on a response to, to Blackstone. They kind of let the bid kind of sit there without doing much about it. Blackstone actually came back and said, oh, we're serious and by the way, we'll take on the regulatory risk. So please take our offer. And Crown still was reasonably quiet. They acknowledged the bid. They haven't really engaged. Then Oak Tree turns up. Now, Oak Tree is a debt buyer. And in this case, Oak Tree doesn't want to buy Crown. They want to give Crown the finance. Well, they say they want to buy Crown. Let me get to that in a second. They say they want to give the financing to Crown to buy out James Packer's share. Now, Packer owns 37% of Crown through Consolidated Press Holdings, his private company. And he is, let's not put too fine a point on it, he is the core party to the adverse findings by the New South Wales Liquor and Gaming Regulator who basically said, we don't think Crown's a fit and proper person. You guys got to make some changes. Uh, and it seems like, well, that's certainly... Uh, he needs to go. And, he needs to go. Well, they need yeah, clear so CPH, yeah. CPH, the regulator, have basically agreed that even to hang around, Packer has to not nominate any directors. He can't discuss anything with the board outside public conversation. He's effectively a majority shareholder. Or, uh, he's not uh, literally a majority. He's not more than 50%, but he's the largest shareholder by far, mm. but effectively has to give up all influence, voting rights, or not voting rights, but directorships inside. They, they can literally do nothing. Other he's a silent. As a, as he's a, a silent partner. Yeah. So, well, same as us, right? As individuals, he's, he's effectively got the same. He's choosing to to uh, concede the rights that he otherwise would have to be one of us. Now, yep. that is that is a, that. And he said, by the way, the, the shares up for sale. So, if and when Crown takes back off the register, that makes mm. Crown's future a lot brighter. As you say, he's effectively got to go. Um, Oak Tree have said, "Hey, we'll help you buy James Packer out." There's something in this, mate, and it's kind of funny because. Oak Tree was one of the parties. So remember Publishing and Broadcasting Limited, the public company that used to own Channel 9 way back in the yep, day? I do. They yeah. were one of the parties that secured the debt to help Consolidated Press own Publishing and Broadcasting, yep. which subsequently Oak Tree effectively assumed the control of the PBL for nothing because the debt wasn't paid. The, yep. the, 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 the Effectively, the debt was defaulted on. And I've got to say there's something of an echo in this one here. Now, Oak Tree's going to say, look, we'll give you the money. Yeah, you can buy Packer's shares back. That would shrink the number of shares on offer. It would take Packer off the register. It would mean Crown gets gets um, kept as a public company. Except Oak Tree's kind of got a foot on the neck, right? Mm, yeah. So Oak Tree, for those that don't know, is um, founded and run by a gentleman called Howard Marks. And I am... Um, uh, a huge fanboy of his. Like people will talk about <laughs> Buffett a lot, but you know, you really want to go to their website and sign up to Howard Marks uh, essays. They are they are just a masterclass in investing. He's, as you say, he's more about debt than equity markets, but it yeah. translates across. And totally. uh, uh, he's got a book out there called The Most Important Thing. It's actually quite yeah. an old book now, but but j- read it, read it, read it, read it. It's a must read for for all investors. And, so that is and, the uh, most important thing by Howard. The Marks. most, yeah, and it's 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 a it's a bit of a tongue in cheek one because there's actually about yeah. twelve most important things. Um, <laughs> Uh, which is, so it's a great title, but anyway, so this this is a, a gentleman. This is an institution who are very capable, very successful, very smart, mm. and mm. they don't they don't give money out for nothing. Uh, and so you know, um, I, I think that they they're very long term thinkers as well. They know that once you get a bit of clear air, if you sort of you know maybe need to clear the board out, get rid of Packer, you know, mm. businesses like this, uh, they're a license to print money. Right and and it, it, maybe it's five years or whenever it is that things will come back and they'll be gushing cash again and mm. so they're they're playing a very long term game and they they probably see some value in the current price due to all of the stuff that has happened so I think it's going to be really interesting I think that their bid their price that they're offering is about twelve dollars per share versus Blackstone's eleven eighty five so a little bit of a premium. Um, mm. Yeah, I, look, I, I, I don't, I don't watch Crown too closely. I just don't like the business. I think it's a pretty yucky business. Um, destroys lives and all that kind. Of, I'm not generally an ethical investor, but I just, I just don't like these guys. And I think what's right, come out right, with right. these royal commissions sort of explains why. You know, <laughs> they, to, to say, oh, we didn't know what was going on, is just like, well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, there's no way that looks good on you. It's sort of, it's either like, well, you know, you did and you turned a blind eye because you're making so much money out of it, which is yeah. which is wrong and evil, or you didn't, in which case it's a dereliction of your duty. And like, well, how the hell could you not know this is going on? So neither neither scenario is shining up a, a great light on you. We say allegedly, so, sometimes. Alleg- yes, allegedly, alleg- allegedly. Um, uh, so yeah, so it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm keen to see how this sort of plays out, but I ain't putting any money near it personally. 
even even at the current price with the possibility that packet well the 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 reality the absolute um certainly the packer goes i mean you know given that clean broom through the place given effectively it's going to be as sparkly and clean as shiny as you know the domestos the dead is going to be washed through the hallways there's going to be nothing left skeletons all gone exposed you know ground down to dust got rid of isn't that exactly the time to kind of go you know what i'm never going to get a better chance to have a clean look at something like a crown and and buy it at a, at a kind of you know washed out washed down price isn't that exactly the time to buy a crown yeah, potentially, but as there's sort of there, I, I do go a little bit outside of pure financial considerations. As I said, I'm not right. I'm not generally an ethically focused investor. I just don't, I, I don't think casinos are a, a, a positive for um, society and <laughs> at large. So I mean, that's that's a person. I don't want to put that on anyone else. Every, others are entitled to a different view, and and I I cast no judgment on that. So yeah, for me, for me, no. And and uh, it, it's it's um it, there's. There's also the potential. People tend to forget that we get so excited about takeover offers, but they do fall through. Um, it's not unheard of. And uh, look mm. out below if, if that that was the case. So, yeah, it's just it's. I think better alternatives out there. Personally, are, are you taking are you taking a stake or? No, or I'm you, not actually. You, I, I, I was asking. I was asking kind of a bit a bit um, tongue in cheek. No, we've actually sold Crown from Motley Fool Share Advisor, uh, okay. and and that was basically because. The takeover premium already in the price is probably about as good as we think you're going to get, at least yeah. on a risk reward yeah. basis. So, it, whenever you get a takeover premium in a share price, you're effectively getting let, let's say the upside is already in. You're getting ninety percent of the possible upside. Maybe there's another bid. Maybe the price goes up another ten percent, something like that. But you're getting all the value. If yeah. you choose to buy at that price and hoping you get an extra ten percent versus the chance that the thing falls over and you lose the entire takeover premium because everyone walks away, it's yeah. really rarely a smart idea to try and jump in and get the better bid and it's frankly a in, I it's a say, bird in the hand you know the mm. analogy fits perfectly yes maybe there's a there's a, a second bird that you could catch <laughs> right, but you've got right. one now take it correct correct and i think that so you know and i don't think that frankly the price is pretty high relative to the business's operating success pre-covid yeah. not even just post-covid pre-covid and so yeah. i think most of the most of the deals are in i, I, don't, I wouldn't avoid it from a an ethical perspective, personally, um, I've ran about ethical investing on this podcast before. I think, it, it, you know, the, the number of shares that Crown ho- owns or holds issues, whatever, is made up of, will not change whether you own them or not. Whether I own them or not, it doesn't make any difference. Whether I own Crown or you own Crown or Jack Smith own Crown, owns Crown, mm. Crown will do what it does and make as much profit as it does. Uh, so I don't really have an issue with the ethical component of that. Uh, but that being said, I, I just don't, I don't think, financially it just doesn't stack up for me. And we, we got mm. rid of it because we figured that we were getting a, offered a pretty good price for the takeover. Probably, you know, chance of being market beating from that point were were slim. Uh, so we're happy to take our money off the table, at least our nominal virtual money off the table. We didn't back that with cash, uh, but also mm. to suggest our members do the same thing with their with their investments. Yep, fair enough. Mate, let's move to um, let's move to a new company on the ASX. Not a brand new company, but a new company on the ASX. And I had forgotten this is the old GE Capital or GE Finance. I think it was. This is the business. You remember the GE Mastercards back in the day, pre-GFC? Yeah, uh, I do. General yeah. Electric, General Electric yeah. in the US had gone massively into finance in the capital markets, and had made a squillion dollars again pre-GFC. That all changed. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, GE credit cards, GE money. You will, might remember the GE money brand. Anyway, that business was turned into Latitude Financial, run by the ex-Australia Post CEO Ahmed Fahour. Uh, they've tried to list three times. And third time lucky this time because they finally got the listing away on the ASX on, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday this week. $2.7 billion it was worth at listing. Shares are off about 8%. Now, here's something. If I had asked you to list the top three unsecured financiers in Australia, would you put Latitude at number three, Andrew? No, I would not. Is that, is that what is it is? It's literally the third biggest provider of unsecured personal finance. Now, let's break that down a little bit. Unsecured basically means there's no... Uh, security over, say, a car for a car loan or a house for a housing loan or something else. Unsecured means there are no assets pledged against a loan, uh, like it would be with a mortgage, for example. And so that's that third largest. I had absolutely no idea. Now, they use their products or they, they provide their products with people like Harvey Norman, JB Hi-Fi, the Apple Store, uses Latitude, for example. Latitude have launched their own version of Buy Now, Pay Later called Latitude Pay, desperately trying to cling to or jump into this Buy Now, Pay Later segment that we talked well and truly enough about. Um, I just a couple of thoughts first was who knew it was the third largest consumer financier 
Second thought was, man, do we really need another listed finance company on the ASX? Like, mm-hmm. We're kind of between between the traditional banks, Afterpay, Latitude now, um, uh, you know, and then throw in the resources sector. We're already seriously top heavy for finance and and, and resource oh, companies. Yeah. I don't think we need yet another finance company on the ASX, but there you go. We, we now do have one. So, so be it. We'll see whether that comes to something at, at some point. Um, as to whether you should buy it, I'm not a fan at the current price. It's... It's a. It's not going to be a terrible business. It's already targeting, by the way, mate, six percent dividend yield, which tells you exactly how it sees itself and how the, the, the shareholders it's looking for. It's yep. exactly trying to steal some of the shareholding from the from the big four banks. It's not going to pay a three percent dividend and go on a growth spree. This is literally the the the, the venture capital private equity business. backers of this thing saying, "Thank God, let's get it on the market. Let's get people loving the the hell out of this thing. Let's make it a quasi bank and let's get the hell out of the shares because we've got better places to be." Um, you know they've and look that's no that's no criticism by the way but they've been very very clear if you're selling a product what do you do you find a market you target that market they've targeted this market beautifully and said look we are a low growth finance company paying you a good yield come and buy our shares I, I can't can't fault them for it uh, but they've been yeah. pretty clear about what they're trying to do and I think maybe they grow with the market ish I don't I don't really see a lot of long term compounding potential how about you. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm the same. Uh, a six percent yield is a really nice starting point, particularly yeah, if, yeah. if that's if that's where your focus is is on income. Yeah. Let's add some system growth on on top of that longer term. So you know, maybe maybe as a total return average sort of thing, you look over the long term, you might be getting high single digits, maybe even ten yeah. percent per year. It's not bad. That's not bad. Um, Perfectly fine. Perfectly good. Uh, yeah. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. So I've got, yep. I've got nothing really negative to say. I, I'm always uh, IPOs are always. I mean, look. <laughs> Why would you go public for? So let's let's say you and I have this business, business, right? Yeah. So yeah, people, yeah, th- there is there is prestige and stuff yep, with it. Is. I suppose you get a lot more attention. Um, you genuinely get better <laughs> access to capital because you can tap shareholders for yeah. for more money if if you need it. But generally speaking, being a public company is a pain in the ass, mate. Like you know, there are, there is a lot more oversight. There's a lot more reporting. You got to deal with shareholders yeah. and brokers yeah, yeah. and analysts all the time. Like I I yeah. I. I no matter how successful a business I ever own, I would love mm. to just keep mm. it private. A lot of the best businesses in the world are private and they stay private because why go public for? They don't, yeah. they don't need the capital. We've got, this, we've got this magic money box which just gush, gushes cash and pays <laughs> us whatever yeah. we want in terms of yeah. dividends and that. We're not answerable to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's so, so an IPO is, is often, and, and this isn't necessarily a, a bad thing, but it's often a, an, an opportunity for what you'd call an exit so we've got the, the great thing about being a public company is liquidity so yeah. i can get the hell out really easy if you want to try and sell shares in a private company it's much more difficult mm-hmm. and you don't tend to get the same kind of multiples on earnings and sales and that kind of thing as well so so the, so this is this is a, a a company that um uh, in KKR had a, a big private mm-hmm. equity group had a big part in sort of reimagining reinventing and what that these guys are not long-term shareholders, right? <laughs> so, so what do you do? If you're going to IPO something, you make that thing look as attractive and as sexy as possible because you want the best possible listing price. They tried Can I just stop to you there, do Andrew, this. Just for, just for a, slight, a slight anecdote, KKR is the business originally known as Kohlberg Kravis Roberts. Yep. These were the guys that were literally the title characters of a book called Barbarians at the Gate. These yeah. guys invented leverage buyouts. So to your point, they, you know, they, they're not mucking around. They, they, these guys invented the genre of, yep. of taking up lots and lots and lots of debt, taking these things over, stripping them bare, relisting them. This is, I mean, you know, these guys are the granddaddies of the of, of the genre. These these guys invented the form. So when when you say they're not looking for hanging around for a long time, I think we can I think we can be pretty clear that's exactly not what they're doing. Oh, they they uh, look, and and I don't want to cast dispersions and that as well. But you know, there is there is a reputation in private equity mm-hmm. that you know you you do sort of dress the you put a lot of um, lipstick on a lot of pigs, yeah. and you know, it's just there's th- th- these guys know the business far better than you do, um, far better than anyone else does, and they they're looking to get the <laughs> hell out. Now, that's that's not yeah. necessarily a, a, a massive like conspiracy because that is their business model. They they just totally. not we all know it, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, but but I but they also there is there is a there's a pretty sordid history of of uh, <laughs> companies coming out of private equity that are just made to, they just do an incredible sell job and mm. and then you know when when the hype dies down a lot of a lot of people are sort of left carrying the bag on on these kinds of things. So mm. from a general standpoint, it's not that it never is. I would. No, never say never, but mm-hmm. but uh, companies that have come out of private equity hands, listing into a market that is very hot, 
uh, a business that is a very attractive business by all accounts, but but one that is pretty uh, mature and stuff as well. I, yeah, I, I just. I just don't see I don't see the the great rush to to get into it. There might come a point in which you know after all this hype dies down, they, they're a much more attractive proposition, and that that might re, that might change things for me considerably. But yeah, at this at this point in time, just just some food for thought for anyone who's got shares or looking at getting shares. Yeah, I think I think that's good advice. I've, I've said before, mate. I'll say I'll say it again too. This is one of those. There was an old there was an old saying in um in, in the markets back in the day. Back in the day. Uh, when Kerry Packer was still alive and kicking in and, and throwing his weight around both metaphorically and literally that you never wanted to be on the opposite side of a trade from Kerry Packer, right? If he was buying and you were selling, that was not a good trade. If he was selling you were buying, that was not a good trade. I, I think it's reasonable to assume that you should probably use private equity uh, and put them in the same <laughs> in the same uh, in the same boat. Yeah, if you're if private equity is selling, maybe it's fine. Like maybe it's fine and it's all fine, it's all good. And I, again, we don't want to say that this is a bad option or bad investment, or even that the PE no. backers are anyway anything doing anything unreasonable. Just sure. realize that, like any sale, the seller wants the best price mm. and the buyer wants to pay the best price, and that's both fine. If you're buying a house at auction, you pay a million dollars above reserve. You better hope it's worth it. You haven't got carried away. Equally, if you're selling and you're get, taking a cheap price, you better hope you're getting a good price. And that's all it is. It's a transaction between a buyer and a seller. And in this case, you want to just, you know, hope, have a view uh, that it might possibly be uh, be worthwhile. I, I will say yeah. too, Andrew, just really quickly, if you wrap this one up, Ahmed Fahur, there's an interesting quote, right, from, in the AFR during the week. And you're wondering about why would you want to be a public company? He says this, I, I had the same double take when I read this. Mm. And I'm quoting now from the AFR. Really? What I think it's all about is the opportunity at this company as a publicly listed corporation. And I'm not even sure what that means. What? Oh, that's <laughs> not, the full quote. Uh, yeah, well, he, he starts, starts, yeah, effectively, he starts by saying, for the people that are here, I think they've got a smile on their face and there's something they feel pretty happy about. But effectively, that's the, only, that's the quote that's been provided in the AFR. Maybe there was something after it. As I said, I haven't got the full transcript. Wow. I can't say he didn't say, and then something, something. But yeah, that was the, that was the quote. that was, And you just kind of go... What opportunity is a private as a public corporation? What what exactly is it? Yes, you want to list yeah. Ahmed for who makes out like a bandy has got seven million dollars worth of shares and good luck to him, good on him. Um, I'm not sure what opportunity he thinks he's chasing or what they're chasing. Maybe they're looking to grow again. Maybe they're going to raise more capital. Maybe they want to merge, be bought by someone. I don't know, yeah. Yeah. but I'm not sure what the opportunity is. I got to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, I, I would say that if you are an investor on this kind of thing too, just it's so hard to do. And I almost don't need to say it, but but you kind of always do, which is yeah. people buy shares and the first thing that they just want, they just want to see the share price go up and to the right. And, and <laughs> you know, for a very mature business that's very deliberately focused sort of on distributing as much cash back to shell, it's just not going to happen, you know. And that could still be a great investment, even if it just like slightly grows the share price over a long time and you're getting that 6% yield along the way, that, that it's fine, but yeah. but again, when people get sucked into a lot of hype, especially if there's a little bit of activity after the listing, and then we kind of ex- we just extrapolate, we expect that all to continue. <laughs> you're going to lose. You, you, we decouple from what it is that we've bought. We've bought an actual stake in a business. We haven't bought. Yep. You know, it, it's it's not this ticker symbol. Um, and I think people mm-hmm. uh, get get particularly in in this stage of the market cycle, um, and particularly in a market like this, tend to forget that kind of stuff. And all kinds of silly things happen. It's just, it's just gambling. And um, just be careful if, if that's what your mindset or where your head is at. <laughs> Mate, I promised our listeners your five stocks. We have talked for such a long time that I'm going to have to call the podcast here. And we're going to hold that over until Sunday. Sunday's oh, podcast okay. is where you are going to get Andrew's top five stocks for 2021. So my apologies for it. We, we, we do this live. We do it in one take, as you can possibly imagine. You can't imagine the live <laughs> really? editing. This you can't think, man, that's the final version after editing. That's amazing. No, we don't edit it. Uh, so we apologize for all of our usual missteps, slip-ups, misstatements, and everything else that we do on the way through this podcast. But I will say we will be back on Sunday. We will do the mailbag, and we will get Andrew's top five socks. Couple well, can, I also, can I also just oh, say, too, just a shameless plug here. I mean, the, the whole point of Strong, is to have a publicly available sort of um, uh, scorecard portfolio out there. So, you know, go go to Strawman. My username is Strawman and you'll see all of the stocks I'm currently holding, my track record, everything is there. Uh, My my prices, my research, it's it's all there. So, you know, if if, um, come and listen to us on Sunday because I'll I'll go through them in more detail. But yeah, just just log on to that and you'll see exactly what my top five holdings are. Andrew, How's that for a shameless plug? All the air out of my balloon for the, for the Sunday podcast. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. Listen <laughs> well, anyway, I'll, because I'll even though Andrew's given some of the cat out of the bag, he'll give you his top five ideas. 
Plus, we'll have plenty of questions from you as well. If you want to have your question answered on our podcast, you can hit us up using the usual socials. Let's go through them very quickly. If you're on email, info at fool.com.au will get us uh, your email via our member services team. So info at fool.com.au. You can get us up on Twitter. Andrew is at Sage underscore Simeon, as in monkey. Yes, I know. Sage <laughs> underscore Simeon. I love giving you a hard time about that. Or Strawman Invest is his Twitter handle for Strawman. You can get me at TMF Scott P. The Motley Fool is at The Motley Fool AU. That's all the Twitters. If you're on Instagram, Again, the same for The Motley Fool AU and TMF Scott P. Nice and easy. And I'm on Facebook. Scott Phillips Money is my page. Just type in facebook.com slash Scott Phillips Money. You'll find me there. You can follow and like and do the usual things on Facebook. And we will make sure we answer all of your questions as we have time to get to them over the next little while. A really quick programming note. That's what the cool kids say, Andrew, apparently. Programming notes. I get to do that. I like it. We are going to, just as a matter of respect, hold back our podcast on Sunday for an hour or so. Uh, We are pre-recording it. Uh, Sunday's Anzac Day for those who aren't aware yet. Um, Generally speaking, the tradition is that businesses close until 1 p.m. on Anzac Day and then open thereafter. It is electronic. It is a podcast. We are going to pre-record it. So we're not going to be working or, or doing anything on that day before 1 p.m. But as a mark of respect, we will hold our podcast back to 1 p.m. on Sunday. So you will be there if you are missing us on your feed for an hour or so on Sunday. We usually release about midday Australian time or Eastern Seaboard time anyway. We will release the podcast at 1 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on Sunday. So we are coming. Just uh, have to wait an extra hour for us. Uh, and in the meantime, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll record it, as I said, in advance. But we'll release it about 1 p.m. on Sunday. That's it from us, mate. In the meantime, do please subscribe to the Motley for Money podcast because it's how people find it. And of course, please do leave us a rating and some reviews if you wouldn't mind at all. In the meantime, that's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back on Sunday, Anzac Day, with more Foolish Insight. Fool on. We'll see you then. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.